God created the gift of God. Uh, we see that Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. That he would be the gift that was given to us, the gift of God that we know as eternal life. Thanks for tuning in to the Putnam City Baptist Church podcast. Our 2019 theme is making disciples as we help our community know God, become family, and impact the world. We hope this message encourages you wherever you might be. If you'd like to learn more about PCBC, visit us online at pcbc.tv. Now, here's Pastor Bill. Well, good morning, church. Did you survive Thanksgiving? Everybody good? Did you survive Black Friday? Are we good? Do we need to have an invitation for anybody who maybe was ungodly at a store over the last couple days? Anybody need an invitation on the front end of the message? We have made it through Thanksgiving. We've talked about how we're to enter his courts, enter his gates with Thanksgiving, his courts with praise. We don't stop Thanksgiving because we just celebrated Thanksgiving. Every day is Thanksgiving. But we are moving towards Christmas. And as we get ready for that, it is our tradition. It may seem a little weird on December the 1st to go there, but I want you to do a 360 to your left, your right, and front and back, and tell everybody a Merry Christmas. Right now, get the season started. Loud and joyful. Wow, that died off real fast. That sounded good for a moment. Didn't last long. I pray you are ready for a Merry Christmas. Our sermon series in the month of December is transitioning. Like I said earlier, we don't stop with Thanksgiving because that holiday is over. Every day is a day of Thanksgiving. But I do want us to focus in on the gift of God that makes our Thanksgiving and praise relevant. We're going to see that the scriptures in the New Testament talked often about this thing called the gift of God. You know, it's interesting that Satan, uh, the liar, the father of all lies, the distorter and the twister, cannot create anything. All he can do is pervert that which God has created. I think you'll find in scripture today with me that God created the gift of God. Uh, we see that Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. That he would be the gift that was given to us, the gift of God that we know as eternal life. And that gift that God designed in the holy child of God, born of a virgin in a manger, dying on a cross, conquering death in the grave, and resurrecting again, that gift that God provides to all who are willing to receive him has been perverted during this season we celebrate the birth of Christ, and our focus no longer is on the gift of God, it's on the gifts. It's on our list. You saw in the sermon bumper, everybody's got a list. And uh, this time of year, you start writing down things that you wish to get at Christmas. Our focus starts turning to the gifts rather than the gift of God. So we have our Christmas wish list. There are those in this room. Some are on the naughty list and some on the nice list. I'm not sure which one you're on. You get to figure that out as you listen through Scripture today. You may even be on somebody's bad list. There are all kinds of lists. But I'm going to take us through Jesus' list. Did you know Jesus has a list? We're going to find it in John chapter 17. And before we get there, uh, back up to John chapter 16. If you have your Bibles, go to John chapter 16. In a moment, we'll study the rest of the month, John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer. It's Jesus' list, his prayer list. The things he prayed for before he took his last breath on a cross. 
We'll see the things that he listed out, the things that he prayed for, the things that if Jesus had a Christmas wish list, these are the things that showed up on his list. Well, back up first to John chapter 16. We find ourselves in verse 28, and we see the last part of what's known as the Last Supper. Jesus has washed the disciples' feet. He has instructed them that the Passover didn't point back to what happened in Egypt. It was about to point to Calvary, what he was about to do. His body was about to be broken. That bread that he would tear would speak of the cross. His blood would be shed. That's what was pictured in the cup that they would take. And he said, as often as you do this, remember me. And then he said these words. Look at verse 28. After that supper, the last part of it, he said, I came forth from the Father, and I've come into the world. I'm leaving the world again and going to the Father. You see the Christmas story in verse 28. You see Jesus explaining who he is and why he was born. The month of December, we've set aside the 25th of December to celebrate the birth of our Savior. And Jesus testified of his birth in verse 28. Look at it again. He said, I have come from the Father. He didn't come from Mary and Joseph. You came from a mom and a dad. You were naturally born. Jesus was supernaturally born. He said, I have come from the Father, and I came into the world. We learn a lot about who Jesus is just from that one verse. He is not just a man. He's not just a teacher. He left heaven. He has always been. He just didn't start to exist over 2,000 years ago. He has always been. He is God. And he came from heaven. He was born and laid in a manger. There he would raise up to walk a perfect life to be the Lamb of God that would be hung on the first Christmas tree, the cross. He would be that ornament. He would be your substitute, my substitute. He would be the gift of God. Why is that important? Well, as we dig into that, he wanted his disciples to understand. Not only was he uh, wholly born, not naturally born, but he also said that he was born for a purpose, that he would leave this world again and return back to the Father. How's that possible? Through his death, being buried in a tomb, and three days later, raising from the dead, alive, conquering death and the grave, being the ultimate holy substitute for your sin and mine. Verse 29. So the disciples said, Lo, now you're speaking plainly. You're not using a figure of speech. Jesus wasn't playing some kind of fairy tale. He wasn't laying out flowery scriptural uh, language. He was saying literally what was about to happen. And the disciples understood it. They understood literally he came from heaven. He came from the Father. They understood literally that he would return back to heaven. How is that possible? Only God can do that. Jesus wasn't just a prophet. He wasn't just a rabbi. He wasn't just a teacher. He was God who became flesh for a purpose. Verse 30. Now we know that you know all things and have no need for anyone to question you. By this we believe that you came from God. They made a declaration. We now understand what you've been teaching us all this time. We just didn't sign up to follow after another rabbi. We've come to understand that you were sent from God, the gift of God given to this world. Look at what Jesus said next, verse 31. Jesus answered them and said, do you now believe? There's not a more defining time maybe during a calendar year than December 
to answer that question. To answer the question, was he really born in a manger? Was he born of a virgin? All the things that we celebrate is not legend, it is fact. It's what Jesus did on our behalf. But the question is, what do you believe? Jesus challenged his very own disciples. He said, do you now, now understand that I'm not just a man and I'm not just a teacher. I have been sent from the Father. Then he begins to pray. Go to John chapter 17 now. And this is what we'll study through the rest of December, the high priestly prayer. We're going to find Jesus' list. And as he prays these priorities, as he prays the things on his list, I want you to know you're on that list. That Jesus literally prays for you. Every person in this room, myself included, you're on his list. You've got to stay here all December to find it, but you'll get there. Watch this. Go to verse 1. So Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. For this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The first thing that we see on Jesus' list, the first thing that Jesus prayed about was the issue of eternal life. The very first thing was the most important thing. He could have prayed about anything in the world, and he prayed about this one thing, eternal life. That's the most important thing, and that's a question that every one of us in this room has either struggled with or is struggling with, the concept of eternal life. Jesus points out that eternal life is more than a destination. Matter of fact, it was first written in the Harvard University Handbook. I'm going to put it up on the screen. It's important to see this. Harvard University Handbook, not the current handbook. It's quite different from its original handbook. You may not realize this. I was kind of dumbfounded by this. Harvard University was founded in 1636, 140 years before our nation's birth. This institution of higher learning and knowledge, this was their declaration. And they point to John 17, verse 3. It says, Let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well the main end of his life and studies is to get an education so you can have a great income and build a huge estate. That you can find your purpose in what you do on this earth. Is that what it said? No. They declared this, pointing to John chapter 17 and verse 3, that the main end of life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. And therefore, to lay Jesus Christ as the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning. And seeing the Lord only giveth wisdom, let everyone seriously set himself by prayer in secret to seek it of him. Isn't that refreshing? Wouldn't that be awesome? If our universities, again, understood where we find truth and what is the source of all knowledge, we used to know that. We used to point to that. That used to be our reality. And I find it interesting that they pointed to this powerful verse that Jesus prayed, John 17, 3, that eternal life is not a destination. It's not a place you go someday and you skip hell and you make your way to heaven. That's eternal life. No, they pointed to the same thing Jesus taught, eternal life is to know God and Jesus Christ. In 1 John 5, 13, it says this, 
These things has God written that we may know we have eternal life. So this first thing on Jesus' list, you hear about it in church all the time, eternal life, eternal life. The preacher's always, do you have eternal life? You can have eternal life. But scripture has many specific things about this issue called eternal life. And I think there's some real bad theology out there. I know that the father of all lies has distorted the concept of what this gift is, the gift of eternal life. And so let's go into scripture and let's dig our way through the first thing on Jesus' list that you might know eternal life. The first thing, the first point I want you to write down is eternal life is given. Eternal life is given. Go back to verse 2 quickly. Verse 2, what did Jesus say? Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. You see, that's critical to understand that eternal life is the gift of God, and it's a gift from God. A gift, by definition, is something we don't earn. It's not something we can deserve. It is something that is given to us from another. There were those who struggled to understand this. You can hold your place there. We'll be back. But go to Matthew chapter 19 quickly. There was a very influential person that approached Jesus struggling with this concept of eternal life. You know the story of the rich young ruler. Let's go back and look at it again. Verse 16. So someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good, but if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Then he said to him, Which ones do I have to keep? As we look in on this guy's story, it looks like it's somebody who's seeking to be right with God. Quite frankly, he was just trying to get satisfaction in his life. He was lacking. He says, what is it that I'm lacking? You see, if you've never received the gift of eternal life, there's a hole in your heart. There's a hole in your life. There's an emptiness that comes by not knowing a holy God. Sin cannot fill it. No matter what you try to pump into your life like this guy will, we'll look at that in a moment, it always leaves us empty. So he comes to Jesus. And he begins to inquire. But the problem is he isn't going to get the answer because he's asking the wrong question. Look at the question again. What shall I do to obtain eternal life? So Jesus begins to point him to the emptiness of his life, the challenge. Now, when you first read it, you think there is something you can do. Because Jesus answers and says, okay, then what you have to do is you have to keep the commandments. And this guy says, okay, uh, which ones? You ever play that game with God? What are the things I have to do? How can I squeak my way into heaven? What are those most important things, God, that I have to do to be saved? I remember growing up and, and, and working through all that. and Everything in life taught me that you have to earn love. The only way you get love, you've got to perform. You've got to please somebody, and they love you in return. Never understood unconditional love until Jesus Never understood that you didn't have to earn it. I always thought it was something you deserved. Here he was thinking the same thing. I've got to do something for God to love me. So Jesus said, you shall not commit murder. Everybody okay so far? Everybody, everybody, you okay for eternal life so far? Wrong. Every person in this room is a murderer. You see, every one of us costs the life of Jesus. He died on a cross because of your sin and because of mine. We're all guilty of murder, but... But he's checking it off. I've never killed anybody literally with my own hands, or so he thought. 
You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Everybody okay so far? Looking down here at the young section here. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to Jesus, check, 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 and check. I've done all that. Wow, quite a dude. Jesus said to him, then, if you wish to be complete, now, don't miss the last part of verse 20. He said, all these things I've kept, what am I still lacking? You see, you will always be found lacking because you can never check all the boxes. You can never, you can never make a dead life live. Only God can do that. He was lacking. I, I've told you before, I had everything I could pack into my life by the age of 17. I had packed it all in. I'd packed everything this world could provide. And yet I was lacking. I was empty. And so was this rich young man who had more than most people on the planet, and yet he was still lacking. Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete... Go and sell your possessions, give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. So is Jesus saying, yes, there is something you can do? Here's the way you get to heaven. you got to sell everything. Just do that, sell everything, and you're... That isn't what Jesus was teaching. Matter of fact, we'll see in Scripture, he's saying, there's nothing we can do. Why would he say that to this particular young man? Because his God was his stuff. And Jesus had to lead him to understand that he had been putting the wrong God in his life. You see the result. It says that this young man heard what Jesus said. He went away grieving, for he was one who owned much. A guy who had much, but had nothing. A guy who had everything everybody else wanted, but he was still found wanting. The problem for this guy was he started by asking the wrong question. And we all should question our eternity. That isn't the issue. It wasn't the fact he was questioning his eternity. He was asking the wrong question about eternity. His question was this, what must I do? Wrong question. The question is, do I have eternity? Am I right with a holy God? And so Jesus pointed him to the fact that he could not obtain it. But here was his challenge. It could be the same challenge that's in this room. It's found in verse 16. Look at verse 16 again. It's how he approached Jesus. It was his understanding of who Jesus was. Remember Jesus taught his disciples, I came from the Father? He thought he came from Nazareth. He came from a holy father. He thought Joseph, the carpenter, was his daddy. And he came to Jesus, he said, teacher, teacher, what must I do? See, every person in this room has got to decide who is Jesus. Is he just a figure of history? Is he just somebody we talk about in church? Is, is he just a good, warm, fuzzy Christmas story? Everybody loves little baby Jesus, even Will Ferrell. We got a place for baby Jesus, but who is he really? Was he just a teacher? Is he just somebody that brought a new religion, just a tack on, taught us a golden rule? Is that who Jesus was? That's who he was to this rich young ruler, and he went away lacking. Verse 23, Jesus would then go on to teach his disciples. He says, truly I say to you, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. What he was talking about is anybody who's rich in their ownness, 
whether it's self-righteousness, material things, whatever that is that they look to that makes them them, that becomes their God. The disciples heard this. They were very astonished. They said, then who can be saved? Isn't that a great question? Who can be saved? How can we know if we are saved? And then looking at them, Jesus said this. Underline this verse. You probably have quoted a million times and you misquoted it. For Jesus would answer, with people, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. You know, guys, when you've gone in for the ACT and you didn't really study much, but you need a 35, like that's possible. And we pray, God, and we'll quote this verse, all things are possible. I know I only am probably going to score 14 at this point, but I'm going for 35 because I'm calling out you, God. I can do this. Give me a 35. That's not what this verse is even talking about. What is the context? What did he say was impossible with people? salvation who can be saved with man it's impossible i don't know how you think you're going to be right when you take your last breath and you go out into eternity and stand before a holy god but i was trying to accomplish the impossible mission impossible I had convinced myself that if I would start going to church with Cammie, if I would quit going to parties, if I would do this and quit doing that, then God would love me. There was something I could do to obtain eternal life. And Jesus said, that's impossible. There's some people right now living an impossible lie, thinking you can earn your way into heaven, or thinking that there's something in this life that will satisfy. I give you case B. John chapter 4, verse 10, the woman at the well. We saw a rich man who had everything that he could get out of the world. Now we find a woman, in this case, who was very destitute and had very little, but both of them had the same problem. Both of them were empty. And in verse 10, look at what Jesus said to her. He said, if you knew the gift of God. See, I'm convinced that there's one lie the enemy will perpetrate on every soul in this room and that's to rob you the understanding of what the gift of God is, especially at Christmas. He would rather get you consumed with all the gifts and all the stuff that we accumulate, just like the rich young ruler, as long as we miss out on the gift of God. And it's so critical we understand that, that Jesus, Jesus pointed that very issue out to this woman. He said, if you knew the gift of God, do you know the gift of God? What is the gift of God? If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked of him. Jesus points out that the gift of God is a person. The gift of God is the one who was born and laid in a manger. The gift of God is the one who was sent from the Father, who was born in Bethlehem, who lived a perfect life, who became the Lamb of God and laid down his life on a cross so that he might return to the Father. That's the gift of God, the only begotten Son. He said, then you would have asked, give me a drink, and I would have given you living water. You can get all the gifts you want this Christmas. Anything that apple can produce. Knowing that it was it really wasn't an apple that they ate in the garden, but you get the fruit. Isn't that interesting? Adam and Eve thought, man, if I could just have more, if I could just take something else in, 
I would be happy, I would be satisfied. No, you need to know the gift of God. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, there it is again, the gift of God is eternal life. And in John 17.3, Jesus reminds us eternal life is not a destination, it is a person. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. For the free gift of God is eternal life, and where is eternal life found? In a Baptist church, right? Wrong. In joining a church, wrong. Eternal life is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ephesians 2.8 For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It is the what? Gift. It's the gift of God. So going back to John 17 verse 3, we learn this about the gift of God. Yes, the gift of God is eternal life, but the gift of God is a personal relationship with the one who gives us eternal life. Look at it again, verse 3. John 17, verse 3. This is eternal life that they may know you. I want you to circle the word know there. I want you to dig in with me for just a moment and don't let me lose you because this is critical. If Jesus prayed for this, you better know what he was talking about. The word know here in the Greek is this word on the screen, gnosko. Gnosko was a Jewish idiom. It was a unique word that was only used within one reference. It spoke of the intimate relationship that a husband and a wife have as one flesh. That kind of knowing. I've told you before, I knew who Cammie Buckminster was. She was a senior at my high school when I was a junior. Do the math. Don't tell her I told you. She was a senior, I was a junior. She was our feature twirler. I knew who Cammie was. She drove an orange and white Pinto. You know those cars that blew up if you ever ran into them? She drove one of those. I knew all this stuff about Cammie, but she didn't know me. I knew about her. But then, December 22nd, 1986... We were at a church altar, much like this. We exchanged our vows, and we said, I do. And on that day, God took a man and a woman, and he made us one flesh. And I would tell you this, that now, all these years later, we dated six and a half years. We've been, dating, we've been married over 30 years now. We know each other better than anybody on this planet knows us. We know the good, the bad, and the ugly. We know each other. It's a unique relationship that I don't have with any other person on this planet. And that's the word that Jesus chose here. The eternal life is not some little ticket you get so you miss hell. It's way bigger than that. It's way more special than that. It's way more intimate than that. It's gnosko. It's to know God. And a matter of fact, in Romans, it says that while we were separated from a holy God, that God reconciled us. It's like a man and a wife who are separated, about to be divorced forever, are reconciled back in the relationship. And it says we were reconciled back to God through Jesus. Eternal life is not a destination. It is a person. It is Jesus. It is intimate and it is personal. The problem is too many people know God but not like gnosko, there is another Greek word, and I put it up on the screen. You'll find this more often in the New Testament. It's okios. Oikios. It is a different Greek word, and we find it in John chapter 9 very quickly. Let me show you the difference between gnosko and okios. John chapter 9, verse 24. 
If you have twins, I dare you to name them these two Greek words. Try it. John chapter 9, verse 24. There was a blind man who Jesus healed. The Pharisees are freaking out because he's telling everybody that this Jesus, who they thought was a false prophet, had healed him of his blindness. He was born blind. So a second time, the Pharisees called this man who had been blind, and they said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He then answered and said, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. But one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. The words know there in those two verses, every time you see the word know there, it's the Greek word okios. There is a knowing that is different than what Jesus prayed about. Here, he stands in front of this audience, he gives testimony, he says, I know this. He was talking about factual knowledge. What he knew from personal experience, it was factual, it couldn't be argued. He said, I know this, Okios. I was blind, but now I see. As he's talking to these Pharisees, they also knew some things. Look at verse 26. So they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them and said, I already told you, but you're not listening. Why do you want to hear it again? You do not want to become his disciples too, do you? They reviled him and they said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know. The Pharisees answered, we know this. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, Jesus, we do not know where he is from. You see, here was their challenge. They knew religion. They'd been taught scripture. They knew about Moses. They knew about the law. They could check off and they, they knew more answers about the Bible than I do as your pastor. But they did not know Jesus. See, that's the biggest problem in this room. John 3.16. Too many people who know John 3.16 but don't know eternal life. They know and they can say it. Matter of fact, you can say it with me, John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Man, I used to think, I know there's a God. If you were to ask me when I was growing up, do you believe? Do you believe? I believe there was God. I believed in Jesus. I needed Jesus to bail me out of all kinds of stuff. I was hyper-spiritual, but I was lost. I didn't know him. I didn't know you could know him. I didn't know you could know eternal life. I thought I had to earn my way in. I thought I, thought I had to do something for God to love me. Why was that? 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4 says this. And if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. He does this so they may not see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ. You see, I was blinded to the reality of eternal life. The one thing that was on Jesus' list, the number one thing he prayed for, for you and for me, and I just couldn't see it. Bad theology, lies of the enemy, lies of my culture, lies of religion. But Jesus came to be our eternal life. Eternal life is a person. It is a personal relationship. Eternal life is the gift of God that is given to you. And for it to be a gift, 
Three things have to happen. We've talked about it before. A price has to be paid. The gift has to be purchased. Number two, the gift has to be offered. And then you've got to do something with the gift. You can reject it or you can receive it. With every head bowed and with every eye closed, the first thing on Jesus' list was that he might give eternal life. Eternal life is a gift. And today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, there's somebody here today that needs that gift. I remember sitting through nine months of Sunday morning services with Cammie at Emmanuel Baptist Church. I remember hearing the gospel preach, and I remember the pastor at the end of the service saying, if you know that you have eternal life, raise your hand. You know that if you died today, took your last breath, you go to heaven because you have eternal life. Raise your hand. And I could feel hands go up everywhere throughout that auditorium, except for mine. I didn't have that peace. I didn't know it. I didn't understand it. I was trying to figure it out. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you're wrestling with that, especially as we think about why Jesus was born, especially as we come to this Christmas season. Don't focus on your list. Focus on Jesus' list. First thing on his list, Lord, all those you've given me, I pray that I might give them eternal life. Eternal life is not a ticket to heaven. For Jesus said, eternal life is that they may know you, God. Speaking of a husband and a wife, a personal relationship, an intimate relationship, being one with God. They might know you, God, and the Lord Jesus whom you've sent. Do you know him? I didn't say, do you know about him? The Pharisees knew about him. The woman at the well knew about him. The rich young ruler knew about him. But they did not know him. They never said, I do, to Jesus. They never received him as the gift of God. You say, how do you do that? What does it mean to receive him as a gift? Well, that's just taking him for who he is and who he said he was. The Bible says, if you'll call on his name, you shall be saved. To receive the gift, you have to call out to God to save you and, and determine in your heart, I need Jesus. And he'll give you living water. He'll thirst no more. I wonder if there's somebody here today that says, I'm not sure about if I'm right with God. I'm not sure if I have eternal life. Pray for me, Pastor. Would you just slip up your hand anywhere in this room? Anywhere. Just lift it up high. Say, pray for me. Online, if you're viewing online, you can reach out to our online pastor and say, I've got questions. I'm not sure if I'm right with God. They'd love to pray with you online and help you. We'd like to do that in this very room. We're going to stand in a moment. If that's you, and maybe, maybe you're struggling on the inside, and maybe that wrestling, you didn't even raise your hand, but that wrestling's going on inside of you. You've got questions. These things is God written that you may know you have eternal life. Our staff are here. If they'll make their way to the front, matter of fact, right now, as they come, we'll stand in a moment. If you've got questions, come to one of them and say, can you explain to me one more time? They'll pray with you. They'll encourage you. Or maybe right now, you just need to call on the name of the Lord. You can do that from your heart to God. You don't need a preacher to pray it for you. You just tell God, God, I receive you as my gift. If that's your prayer today, would you come to one of these and say, I prayed, just like Pastor said. I received that gift this morning. Maybe you have another spiritual need. Maybe you need somebody to pray with you or you need a church family. Maybe God's speaking to you in some unique way. Our staff will be here. Whatever you need to do to respond. I hope you will. Father God, in Jesus' name, may you be eternal life in this room. 
or for those online. And God, may we see what we were blinded to, our need to be saved, and our need to know you, the one true God, the Lord Jesus Christ. God, pour out salvation from heaven now, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Thank you for spending time with our church family. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, visit us online at pcbc.tv. There you can also contact us and find out how to connect with us through social media channels. And visit pcbc.tv slash podcast to listen to additional messages from Putnam City Baptist Church.